We, we are so blessed to have these guys, have this team. We are. <laughs> we are. We are. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. Again, again, you guys are fantastic, fantastic. Um, hey, so before I start, I do want to, a few things. So uh, John, John wasn't here. He's not anymore. But uh, John, um, John Bechtold and then Commander Ray, Ray Carlisle, they are taking our boys out to Ranger Camp this week. Uh, so if you keep them, keep them in your prayers. I think they leave. They leave Wednesday. I should know this. <laughs> I think they leave Wednesday and uh, come back Saturday. I think. I think. Anybody have any boys going? You should know. I should know. Anyways, but uh, they. But but it's going to be a great time. And I and I bring up John and Ray because without them, it wouldn't be possible. They put in a lot of work to to minister our boys and and to take them out there. And they they give their time and they they take time off of work and. And it's, uh, it's just a great thing. It's a great thing. The boys love it. I've never been to Ranger Camp, but the boys love it. Um, also, the week after that, our youth, we're going out to Granger. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, uh, we're going out uh, to, to partner with the church out there and to help reach the community. And I'm excited about that, not only because I get to go. I, I am excited because I get to go. Uh, but I'm excited um, because our students are excited. They are. They're, they're excited to go out there. And uh, they, well, they, I mean, the ones that went last year, they know, but it's going to be like 100 degrees, and I'm just going to put them to work. And, uh, and they're excited about it. But, um, but we get to go swimming, so we'll cool off, and uh, we'll do, we'll do some, some other things. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about it because last year when we went out, we took six students. This year, we're taking 12. Um, and yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a big deal. We're taking 12, plus there's four adults going out, so we're going to have... <laughs> We're going to have a pretty good team out there, and uh, we're going to do some great, great things for the church, do some things that the church wouldn't ever be able to do by themselves, and uh, it's just a, it's a great, great ministry to partner with. I, I believe in the pastor out there and what he's doing and, and uh, how he's ministering to the city, and it's just, it's just a great time. Uh, our pastor, also, he's, he's out this week. Uh, nothing's wrong. He's just spending time with his family. Right? <laughs> yeah, spending spend time with his family. He's, a, he's allowed to do that. He has a great family. Uh, I love him a bunch. And uh, I'm glad he gets to do that. So with that, I get to speak to you today. <laughs> there we go. Hey, hey, and I promise I'm not going to speak about grapes. No, nope, we're not talking about grapes today. Uh, I, I do love grapes, and it's getting closer to the time the giant grapes come out. And uh, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk about grapes today. <laughs> but they're huge, and I love them. And uh, <laughs> oh, all right. Anyways, anyways, anyways. All right, I love, I love being a part of Heritage Church. I love this church. I, I hear all the time that, man, the people at Heritage, they're so friendly. And I turn around and tell them, you know what, that's a symptom of something. That's a symptom of a great church, right? We're not, we're not a great church because we're friendly. We're friendly because we're a great church. But, I mean, that's just how it works. <laughs> so I love, I love being a part of the church because of you guys, because of you guys. All, all, I'm not from the South, but all y'all, <laughs> all y'all, I love, I love being a part of the church. Um, and uh, I love being a part of the church. Ed and Karen aren't in here, but I love being a ch- part of the church because of things that they, like, they put on last week, fish fry, right? That was fantastic. Ed, Ed made me try fish. I do not like fish, okay? I like grapes, not fish, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm like half biblical. <laughs> 
right. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, I did try it. I tried um, whatever he had fried out there, that fried stuff that everybody thought was really good. And uh, he was all proud of me because I tried it, but I spit it out in front of him. <laughs> so, and I threw it away. <laughs> but he was all proud of me. And then I tried some salmon. He wasn't around. That was even worse. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just being honest, right? And no, everybody that I talk to, though, that likes fish, they're like, man, that's the best fish I've ever had. And, and you know what? Great. Great. I ate the ribs. They were wonderful. <laughs> they were wonderful. No, I, I, and I, I can joke with that. Ed is a good friend of mine, and I love him. I love him. I love him and, and Karen, and I'm so appreciative for what they, what they do. And even though fish isn't my thing, I know a lot of people do like it, and I know it was very successful. We, we had in attendance at church the largest gathering ever at Heritage Church last week. Uh, that, was, that was a big deal. We fed, we fed over 500 people. We fed, we fed over 500 people. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys see the line? It was like out here, down the church, like down in the parking lot. Oh, for fish. <laughs> and ribs. And ribs. All right. We fed over 500 people. We celebrated 10 years of Heritage Church. 10 years. I had somebody tell me this morning, like, where, is the, where have the 10 years gone? I don't know. I've been here for three. Right? And that three has been pretty quick. Uh, but the, the, I, I tell you that cause, because the 10 years leading up to now, <laughs> the, the best days are ahead of us. The best days of Heritage Church are ahead of us. Not that the last 10 years have been terrible because they've been great. I can, I can attest for the last three years, this is the best church I've ever been at. By far. By far. The best church is just, just <laughs> because of you guys. Because of you guys. Best days are ahead. There are 10,000 people who in, in Vancouver who will come home. 10,000 people who will be born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. 10,000 people who will help change this region to a region where people are like, man, there's just a bunch of weird Jesus people over there. Yeah, whatever, we'll be weird. We'll be weird. We'll love Jesus. We'll love Jesus. Families will be strengthened. Relationships will be restored. The sick will be healed. Dead will be raised, the lost will be saved, and Jesus, through it all, will be praised. Jesus, through it all, will be praised. We look forward to all of this in faith. In faith. Last week, Dav talked about running the race, and as he was speaking, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think about sitting right over here, over the end, and I couldn't help but think about when I joined the race. When I, when a thirty-year-old man got up, <laughs> stopped making excuses, and got in the race. And uh, any runners, any runners, Reed, I know you are. Any, any other runners, because this isn't going to apply to you. <laughs> but I am not a runner. I don't like running. I've had to run a lot in my life. I was in the military. I was in the Marines. And people asked me, like, hey, what did you guys do to work out? We ran. We ran a lot, a lot, like, like a, a, a slow day, a, a, a short run. It was like three miles. It was a short run. I can't, even, I can't even run a mile. Anyways, <laughs> but, uh, but I, talk, I, I tell you that because as you start running in a race or you start running, you know, in a marathon for some, some people who decide marathons are good ideas or obstacle races or whatever, whatever you're running, <laughs> when you first start, you're like, this is sweet. I got this. I got this. And then that first obstacle, whether it's a hill, whether it's if you're running an obstacle race, whether it's the first obstacle 
You know, you might still be like, all right, sweet, I got past that. Then the next one comes. Then the next one comes. And you're like, why am I running? What am I doing? Right? I remember when I was, when I was in the Marines, when I was, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, I was stationed at 29 Palms, but I was also stationed in Portland. And uh, where, where I was stationed was right at the bottom of University of Portland on Swan Island. So like University of Portland's up here and Swan Island's down here and we were right down here. And uh, when we would start running, we'd run out the gate and we'd run up the hill. And then it was flat. But I, at the beginning, I'm like, yeah, sweet. Running, running formation, hit that hill. I'm like, it's all over. It's, <laughs> it's all over. I don't want to run anymore. And it was mostly in my head. Mostly in my head. I'm looking at this hill. You know, I, I could run up the hill, but I just didn't like doing it. So it was mostly in my head. I talked myself out of it. But I, I tell you that because running a race isn't easy. It's not. And the obstacles are hard. And the obstacles I faced, I've had to navigate consequences of my own actions. You know, I came to know the Lord <laughs> not too long after I was arrested. And uh, I had still, you know, I was for, I'm forgiven. I've been forgiven. I was forgiven on that day. But uh, I still had to navigate those obstacles. I've had to confront areas where I've been hurt. So what we do as Christians. We, we go in and, and where, where those hurts are, we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and clean those out. And those are hard to do sometimes, most of the time, all the time. I've had to fight, fight heartbreaking battles for people I love still to this day. And I've experienced loss of loved ones. Those things hurt. Those things hurt. And the race is hard, but the reward is worth it. The reward is worth it. We keep looking forward in faith and we hold on to what God has promised us. Today, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 and look at, looking at what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I'll give you some background on Hebrews. It was written to a, to a largely Jewish audience, hence the name Hebrews. It was written to the Hebrews. And these Jews had converted to Christianity and subsequently faced severe persecution because of their decision. They, they, when they were Jews, they were fine. They were kind of left alone. They converted to Christianity, and the persecution started. So what they were doing, they're like, well, it's the same God. Why don't I just leave Christianity, go back to Judaism, so I'm left alone? But the author of Hebrews is writing the audience to explain the superiority of Christ and how the abandonment of Christianity would result in them forfeiting their salvation. What he's saying is you can't earn it. You can't earn it. Christ did it for you. And the persecution you face, or in our case, people making fun of us, calling us names, it's only a short period of time. It's only a short period of time. And essentially the author here, he's explaining that Christ is better. The person of Christ is superior to the prophets, and the work of Christ is superior to the Old Testament law. When I say the work of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, what he did on the cross, that's his work. Now, Jewish <laughs> Jews, uh, the Israel, Israelites, people of Israel, they view Moses in very high, high regard. He, uh, he, they, essentially, they look at him like he, he's the house that all of the other prophets live in. You know, he went up Mount Sinai. Ten Commandments, comes down, mad, breaks things, goes back up, face shining, 
gives the law, gives the law to people, and they're like, man, Moses is the greatest thing ever. He gave us the law. <laughs> but Jesus built that house, right? So if Moses is the house that all the other prophets live in, Jesus built that house. <laughs> Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful to all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to, to the things that were to, were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting hope. Now a couple of things. Okay? Moses may have been the house, but Christ built that house. Okay? And if Moses is a servant... In God's house, I never had a maid or a butler, right? I was not not raised in in, in a mansion with servants, and but but a servant in a house may be treated well, but the son is treated way better. So Moses is the servant in God's house, but Jesus is his son. The author is just saying, he's saying, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He is the architect of our salvation, not Moses. Not Moses and not the law. In Hebrews 10, first 18 verses, the comparison of Christ's sacrifice versus the sacrifice of the law is laid out. And the author says that the sacrifices under the law are a reminder of sin. They remind us of sin. The sacrifice of Christ is a removal of sin. The sacrifices under the law were repeated constantly. The Levites would line up at the temple, and there'd be a line of priests. And whoever was in the front, they'd take the sacrifice from the person bringing, bringing an animal, bird, whatever, lamb, goat, bull sometimes, whatever it was. And they would take that, and they would sacrifice that animal. And then they would, when they're done, clean up, and they'd get back in, back in line. And then when they got to the front of the line, they make another sacrifice. And they just did that every day. When Christ sacrificed, he sat down. That was it. He was done. Sacrifice under the law were repeated constantly. The sacrifice of Christ was done once for all. The sacrifices under the law were done in anticipation of a time when fulfillment would come. The sacrifice of Christ is that fulfillment. The sacrifice under the law were done in the shadow of the sacrifice Christ made. What Christ did, they were all in the shadow of the sacrifice he made. The sacrifices under the law were made by the blood of animals, while the sacrifice of Christ was made by the blood of God's only Son. The sacrifices under the law were involuntary. I don't think the, the animals lined up and were like, all right, it's, it's time. It's time. And then line up. They had to be held down, dragged in, drug in, dragged in. <laughs> drug in. <laughs> but Christ willingly, his sacrifice was 100% voluntary. 
100% voluntary. Jesus is better. He's better. Come back to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The Greek here, the word translated as faith means a firm persuasion or a belief in the truth of someone or something. The word Greek, or the, the, the Greek word translated as assurance can also be translated as confidence, guarantee, or proof. Now the author is conveying that biblical faith is not, it is not a vague hope with its foundation in the imaginary. It is not wishful thinking. We're not just like, Maybe. No. No. Faith is being confident. We're confident in something in the future. Faith is rooted in the confidence that God makes good on his promises. It is, it is God and God alone that will bring about hit the fruition of his promises. We do not have blind faith, and we don't, certainly don't make leaps in the dark. Our faith isn't blind. We're confident. I am sure that God will come through. If not, I'm in trouble. Our faith, biblical faith, is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. The God who has revealed himself in the word and in the person of Christ will come through. The beginning of the book of Hebrews, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, Dav talked about it a couple weeks ago, the transfiguration. Jesus goes up, starts shining. Moses and Elijah show up, and God says, don't look at those two, look at him. Look at Christ. And for generations, for literally thousands of years, people have trusted in God. And for generations and for thousands of years, he has proven himself trustworthy. For 10 years, Heritage Church, we have trusted God, and he has always proven himself faithful. The people are, he, people are here. The lights are on. We have a great pastor. He, he, he shows up every week. People are healed. People are saved. Their, their, eternal, their eternal destinations are changed because God is faithful. Faith is the reason we walk into Heritage Church and we're able to see what is not yet. We walk around here confident in the promises God has spoken to us. We walk around here confident in the promise of a body of believers expressing Christ in Vancouver and the surrounding areas. Maybe Portland. <laughs> we walk around here confident in the promise of, the etern of eternal destinations of people being changed. We walk around here confident in the promise of the sick, the deaf, the blind, and the brokenhearted walking in here, leaving healthy, hearing, seeing, and with mended hearts. People who've never seen will walk in here and walk out of here blown away by what they see when they walk out the doors. People who've never heard will walk in here, and the first things they're going to hear are the word of God being spoken to them. We are convinced of the unseen. We are convinced. Now, people talk about wind all the time. Like, oh, well, you, you can't see the wind, but you can see the trees blowing. That's great. And Jesus uses that, and I'm not putting that down. I personally like to use oxygen. 
I know in this room there is oxygen. And I know that my body needs oxygen. And when I take a breath, I know my body is getting what it needs. I can't see it. I don't even know how scientists even know that it's what it is. I have no idea. Right? You can't look, look under a microscope at air. What are you going to see? Nothing. Right? It's not, yeah. But I know. I know. If I saw smoke in here, I would know. Man, don't bring the smoke. But I can see that. Right? If I, if I thought that there was carbon monoxide or if there was a gas leak, what do they say? It smells like rotten eggs. Is that right? They put like that smell in there. I would not be confident in the unseen anymore. But I am confident right now that as I breathe in, there's oxygen going into my lungs and my muscles are getting it. And I don't know how many times a day you breathe. Karen Vickers looked it up. She said like 30-something thousand. I think my lungs are a little bit bigger, so mine's probably like 40-something thousand. I'm <laughs> hogging all the oxygen up. But I know that when I breathe in, that oxygen is going to come into my lungs. I'm confident of that. I'm also confident that there's an unseen God who hears, understands, and answers my prayers. I'm confident of that. I've never seen God. I've, ne- I've never had a, a John or an Isaiah experience to where I've seen the throne room of God. And to be honest with you, I don't necessarily want to because I would probably react worse than they did. John passed out, and Isaiah was on his face saying he's from unclean people. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'd probably cry. <laughs> I'm not a crier, <laughs> but I'd probably cry. Now, there's an exchange uh, in, in, in John chapter 20 where Thomas, after Jesus is resurrected, and Thomas, we call him doubting Thomas sometimes, and he doubted until Jesus comes up to him and says, Hey, Thomas, to touch the holes in my hands and in my feet and in my side. And Jesus, or not Jesus, Thomas, Thomas touches him and sees that he's actually alive and it's actually him. And he, and, he, and he says, my Lord, my God. Because Thomas saw. And then Jesus says this. He says to Thomas, he says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking We are not at a disadvantage because we've never seen God. We're blessed. We're blessed. We believe in an unseen God and we are blessed because of it. We are blessed. We have the comforter, Holy Spirit. And we are in the presence of the one who walks among the lampstands. Lampstands are the church, (laughs) the churches, and Jesus walks among the lampstands. He's here with us right now. We can't see him, but we know he's here. The author of Hebrews talks about the faith of those who have gone before. In, 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 in verse 2, he says, for, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. The people of old were recognized by God because of their faith. Because of their faith. Not because of their adherence to the law, because the law, nobody could do it. Nobody could, nobody could do it. Nobody could live up to God's standard. One person did, and he did it for us. But the people of old were recognized by God because of their faith, not because of their deeds, not because of their works, not because they were good enough. They were good enough because God said they were good enough. 
They also looked around, just as we do, and understood there was an order to what they saw. They knew that although they had not seen God physically, what he, had, what he has done is evident in creation. They didn't look around. <laughs> okay. They didn't look around at creation and decide that we crawled out of the ocean or some prehistoric ooze, sprouted legs, started crawling around, at some point became apes, and then evolved into humans. Okay? And I always ask myself, if we evolved from apes, why are there still apes? Right? Some apes were like, hey, you guys stay over here and eat bananas. We're going to go over here and, and lose our hair and stand up straight and stop hanging out in trees. Why are there still apes? I don't know. I don't know. Life on earth is too complex, too diverse to be random and to be an accident. It takes more faith to believe <laughs> that a massive explosion caused all this by accident than it does to believe that there's intelligent design. I've been around a lot of bombs. It was 4th of July recently, and uh, we lit some stuff off. I have all my fingers, which is good, and I didn't even get hurt. But explosions destroy. They destroy things. They don't create. I've never seen a bomb go off in a building and create anything other than a pile of rubble. I haven't. I haven't. I've never seen, <laughs> I've never seen a bomb go off and be like, boom, rolling keyboard. <laughs> I mean, the materials are there, but bombs <laughs> don't create. Explosions don't create. Now, we can <laughs> harness the energy from explosions inside of something that's created, right? Internal combustion engines. I'm told nuclear reactors. I stay away from those. It's not my thing. Not my thing. I do like engines, though. I do like them loud with exhaust. <laughs> but explosions destroy. They don't create. They don't create. The word of God creates. God's spoken word creates. <laughs> there's order. There's order to creation. Right? Just like there's order to this keyboard. When you turn the power on, power comes in, and it goes through a series of events to make this thing work, and it has to be in order. There has to be an order to it for it to work correctly. That's not an accident. That thing didn't happen by accident, and neither did we. We are not an accident. This world is not an accident. You are here on purpose. You matter. You count. And God loves you. The author then goes on to, he lists a whole bunch of these heroes. This is the hall of faith. Heroes of the faith. Talks about Abel. How Abel's offering showed his faith and his jealous brother killed him for it. Enoch. His faith saved him from experiencing death. I would love that. I would love that. I said it before. Man, all right. I said it before. I don't like Star Trek, but I'd be like, beam me up, Jesus. Gone. Gone. But that's what happened. Enoch, gone. Just taken up. Noah's faith meant acting out on God's warning word. God warned Noah. Noah had faith that what God said was going to happen. He saved his family and all of mankind and a whole bunch of animals. Abraham... <laughs> Abraham's trusting obedience to God's call took him away from his settled life 
from his homeland, and he became a lifelong refugee. He left his house and just wandered. His faith, this will sound familiar for you, his faith made him willing to offer up his only son, trusting that God would bring him back to life. See, in the shadow of Christ. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all demonstrated their belief in God's promise. Faith determined Moses' choice to leave court, to leave royalty. He left the royal house to become one of the slaves by faith. By faith, because what God said. The city of Jericho was taken by faith, not by superior force. You know, I, I know a little bit about military tactics, and I know walking around the enemy and just yelling. <laughs> Sometimes I imagine what people on top of the wall were thinking. They're like, what in the world are these people doing? Walking around here, blowing horns. And then the walls fall. Daniel's faith saved him from the lions. Elijah and Elisha brought the dead back to life. Rahab the prostitute. The author uses the title prostitute so we know who's being talked about. Because to us, that identifies her. To God, her faith identifies her. Samson. Samson's listed here. Now, I've read the story of Samson. I wrote a paper on him once. And the things that stood out to me, arrogance, pride, Delilah. Delilah. Come on, Samson. Come on. Delilah. The thing that stands out to God about Samson? Faith. His faith. Faith also causes people not to fear death or physical torture. Jeremiah was beaten and imprisoned. And <laughs> Jeremiah preached his entire life. Most of you know this. His entire life. He preached his whole life. And not one person listened to him. I mean, well, they listened to him, but they rejected him. Not one conversion. His whole life. And he was beaten and imprisoned on top of it. He watched Jerusalem get destroyed. God's city, he watched it get destroyed. But he never, he never, he never swayed. He never went off. He never lost faith in who God is. It's said that Isaiah was sawn in half. Zechariah was stoned. Now these heroes of the faith, they never doubted God's goodness. There are many more we could list, biblical times to present times. There are people who willingly walk to their deaths, who willingly are taken to their deaths, praising God all the way. Families sold into slavery, kids being, being sold into slavery, and they walk, in, they walk to their death, praising Jesus. These are heroes of the faith. These are people with big faith. Time after time, people are willing to suffer and die with the faith that what they experience. Give me a second. Time after time, people are willing to suffer and die with the faith that they will experience the fullness of what God has for them after a short time of persecution. Faith overcomes fear, and faith correctly evaluates the present. Faith evaluates that God is love. God is perfect love, and that perfect love drives out fear. It's our faith. It is our faith that matters. 
verses 33 through 40 of chapter 11 says this. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised for them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received the loved ones back again from, the, from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their, their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. This brings us into it. That us is us. The reward for them is the same as the reward for us. We have the same reward as all of the people who have gone before us. That great cloud of witnesses is watching us and cheering us on. We have the same reward. Our reward is based on what Jesus did. So is theirs. The heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11 were saved because they had faith in what God was going to do. We are saved by faith in what God has already done. They were looking forward, we're looking back, but we're all looking at the same point. And that point was the cross of Christ. That's what saves us. Our reward is God's idea. Our reward is God's idea. He is the one who gives it. So what is, what is faith? Faith is being confident, being assured, and being convinced that a God who we cannot see will fulfill the promises contained in his word. How do we live by faith? We live like we believe the promises of God. We live like we believe the promises of God. How do we walk by faith? Walk like you believe what God promised will happen. There's a lot of promises I'm walking in that haven't happened yet. There's a lot of mountains in front of me. But I know God is faithful. I've seen him answer prayers too many times. I get to go home and I live in an answered prayer. I get to be married to an answered prayer. <laughs> I'm the dad of an answered prayer. <laughs> How do we lead by faith? <laughs> we lead by faith. We show others what it means to believe the promises of God. That's how we lead by faith. Our pastor, he, he, he asks us as a staff, slash tells us as a staff to lead by faith. He asks us to do it and he wants us to do it, but he can't make us do it. So we lead by faith. We have to, we have to, we have to have faith. We lead by faith. I show others what it looks like, or I try to at least. I do my very best. 
to walk around like I believe the promises of God. I do believe them. I'm not faking it. I do believe the promises of God. I believe the promises God has in his word. I believe that when he promises Christ is coming back, he is. I, pro- I believe when, when he says, <laughs> when he speaks to us and says that this house will be a house of healing, it will be and is. I believe, it, I believe and walk in, in the promises that, I've, that I have prayed for and that words have been spoken over me for my family. I believe it. I walk in it. I have faith that even though it hasn't happened, even though I haven't seen what it looks like, I will. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I Mount Hood, you guys have all seen it, I'm sure. Drive down Highway 14, you see it. Big thing, snow all over it. I cannot go push that thing out of the way. I could try, but I'd just be pushing on the ground. And the reason Jesus talks about a mountain there, he talks about a mountain because that's impossible. That's an impossible thing. And he says, he uses a mustard seed, which is like the smallest thing that he could, you know, that people would understand. If he would have said like atoms or something, they'd be like, what? (laughs) They had no idea. Molecules. They had no idea what that stuff was. But they knew what a mustard seed was. And they knew that a mustard seed stood no chance against a mountain. (laughs) But faith that size does. Faith that size does. Jesus says that a little bit of faith can do the impossible. (laughs) And if a little faith can make the impossible possible, what can a lot of faith do? I want to walk in a lot of faith. I want to walk in the faith that when I walk up and I see a mountain, I don't even slow down. Because I know by the time I get there, that mountain's gone. And I know there's people in here <laughs> that are facing mountains, that are looking at mountains. And, and, and they're looking at something like, that's impossible. There's no way I can get over that thing. You're right. <laughs> but God can move it out of the way for you. So I'd ask you to stand with me. As we get ready to close. And then the prayer workers in the house, I want you guys to be ready, please. Because I've got some questions. I want to just ask, what, what mountains are in your life? What impossible things are in your life? What things are you looking at? Like, I can't get through this. I can't get over that mountain. I need help. We all do. We all do. And I'll tell you, your faith causes God to move those mountains. Your faith causes God to make the impossible possible. He loves you. He loves you. And he's in the business of making impossible things possible. What impossible situations are you facing? I want to pray for them, right? We want to pray pray for them. And if you don't have faith, or this is new to you, you can come down here too, and we'll pray with you. We'll pray with you. And we will, we will introduce you to the author of our faith. Because he's here. He's here. So if that's you, if you want prayer, come on down as they play.